It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Madison Allworth, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Israel's war against Hamas has led to concern about an increased terror threat here in the U.S., especially a possible so-called lone wolf attacker. If a particular would-be terrorist is not in communication with other known associates, people that we're tracking or interested in. So it's one of the hardest problems in law enforcement. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Can he get to 217? That's what Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan needs to get the gavel after the House has been without a speaker for two weeks now. We need transformational change. We couldn't continue the status quo. And again, that's why we are now, I believe, on the cusp of voting Jim Jordan in as speaker. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. For an 11th day in a row, Israel is on the attack inside Gaza. We are continuing to strike against Hamas wherever they are. Israeli Defense Forces Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner tells Fox... We are determined to destroy their capabilities, to pursue their leaders, and uh, negate any capabilities to conducting uh, massacres, terrorist attacks against Israel. They are going to lose. Now, of course, Hamas started all this with a terror attack in Israel earlier this month. More than a 1,000 Israelis have been killed. There's been double the number of Palestinian civilians also killed. And the conflict there worries the FBI director here. There's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we've got to be on the lookout. Christopher Ray told a gathering of the International Association of Chiefs of Police over the weekend that lookout for the FBI is... Especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. And there's concern foreign terror organizations could try to get their supporters here to do something. This dastardly attack by Hamas has really put people around the globe on edge. Michael Allen was a special assistant for national security to President George W. Bush. We've seen attacks on synagogues and Jewish community centers in the past. I think it's certainly plausible that you could see not only the threats that the FBI director described, but I think you could see increased attacks on these type of Jewish targets, if you will. So I think it was prudent to warn about it so that everybody is on their toes. What are we looking for? What things is the FBI trying to find? What would stand out as, oh, oh, we have a problem here? I think that the FBI has eyes on a number of people who are, I would call it, Hezbollah or Hamas sympathizers, maybe people who want to facilitate fundraisers for those groups. They may be under surveillance by the FBI waiting for them to interface with other more senior people in those organizations. Sometimes it's best just to watch people and see what else you can learn. But I think Iran is trying to think of this in the long term. They want to come back after us at some point 
And this may be an opportunity when they start to either insert sleeper cells into the United States or otherwise radicalize would-be friends of Hamas or Hezbollah who remember the term from Al-Qaeda when we used to talk about lone wolves yeah. and self-radicalization on the Internet. Right. It could very well be that that's just the type of people we need to be looking after as well. Yeah. And sometimes they just pop up. I mean, you didn't know, didn't even know that person existed. Suddenly they're there and they do something, right? That's what makes it so difficult. There's only so many things you can do if you're our law enforcement agencies, if a particular would-be terrorist is not in communication with other known associates, people that we're tracking or interested in. So it's one of the hardest problems in law enforcement. But I think that we're trying at least to combat that at a minimum by having greater protection at synagogues and Jewish community centers around the country. Now, there is also concern about Muslims being targeted. Over the weekend in Illinois, a six-year-old boy was stabbed to death and his mother wounded. It's really hard to watch this because the police tried to rescue the boy, rushed, they rushed so much. That's one of their neighbors in Plainfield, southwest of Chicago. Their 71-year-old landlord was arrested, charged with murder and two counts of a hate crime. Police say he was motivated by anger over the Israeli-Hamas war. The Council on American-Islamic Relations claims he said during the attack, you Muslims must die. Isn't it sick? I mean, this is just the kind of thing that Hamas wants to happen. They want to see warfare across the globe. They want to see this type of violence. They, by the way, don't care about their own people. They think it would be to a higher cause if Muslims were perhaps slaughtered by would-be vigilantes or people that were inspired to hit back uh, people of Muslim faith. You know what? President Bush, not long after 9-11, went up to a mosque in suburban Washington, D.C., and talked about how it's not the American way to vilify a full number of people or a total religion that al-Qaeda had perverted Islam. I think the same thing goes for what we're experiencing today. When you look at Hamas, what would be different? I've heard a lot of people compare what Hamas has done slaughtering Israelis in that terror attack to ISIS and and, and the tactics it used in Iraq and Syria. What's the difference between these two organizations? Not a whole lot, honestly. Um, Hamas is sponsored, of course, by Iran, and that's not who was the primary sponsor behind ISIS. ISIS was sort of self-generating in Iraq as a result of a U.S. pullout, somewhat inspired by the presence of U.S. troops as we began to degrade al-Qaeda. Hamas, however, is, I think, um, up until Saturday, they were considered a lot less capable because they were fully dependent upon aid and assistance from Iran. And it wasn't, or so it seemed, it wasn't all that easy to be able to get them the aid and assistance that they needed. Mm -hmm. All of that has been blown up now. We had an huge failure of intelligence, a failure of imagination. And not only will Israel go through what's called a commission of inquiry to figure out what happened, I think we'll have a lot of retrospectives inside the U.S. government, in particular, the U.S. intelligence community. Did we miss any signals? All right. Now, what about Hezbollah? Because are they labeled the same way as considered a terrorist organization as Hamas is? They are indeed. They are primarily in Lebanon, which is by now a totally failed state. 
and it's on the northern border of Israel. And there have been rockets from Hezbollah going across the border into Israel, too. I think it's a little bit of a warning for Israel of, hey, if you escalate too much, we're going to bomb you from the north. But look, Hezbollah has, if you can believe this, greater capabilities than Hamas. They have closer to nation state capabilities when it um, comes down to the type of weaponry, especially the missilery that they have. So I think there's a lot to watch in the north. Israel, of course, doesn't want a two front war right now. So why this attack now? What would be the motive? Is Hamas trying to have Israel overplay its hand and have the world turn against them? I mean, what is the deal? Saudi Arabia and Israel are having very serious conversations about normalizing relations. That would be a huge blow to Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran and the rest. That's a huge blow to people who want a two-state solution in Israel to have a Palestinian state. And so I think Iran had to say, wait a minute here. We need to scotch this deal. President Biden said on 60 Minutes that he still wants a two-state solution with a Palestinian authority, but not Hamas. He thinks Israel needs to destroy Hamas. How, since Hamas has been in control in Gaza, how do you do that? It's so difficult because, you know, the Israelis, for all the insults that go their way about being a, quote, occupying force, they don't want to occupy Gaza. They haven't since 2007. They would love nothing more, I think, for it to be a normally functioning region because they, of course, don't want a restive terrorist network on their borders. So I think the Israelis and the United States and others are searching for who is the governing authority going to be when all of this is over? How do the Palestinian people gather and find a new leader? There's Islamic Jihad that's in there too, right? They are, and in many ways, they're more brutal than Hamas. There is no good outcome here. I think, honestly, the Mahmoud Abbas, of course, is the president or the leader of the Palestinian Authority. He's very old by now, and, uh, you know, just not to get too down in the weeds um, today, but, you know, they need a new leader there. They need a new regime, if you will, that is more broadly representative of the Palestinian people. We are making a presumption that Hamas gets destroyed, that Israel does win and do that. Is that easier said than actually done? Much easier said than done. The Israelis are going to go in with combined arms, dismounted entities. They have specific targets in mind from their human intelligence and their signals intelligence. They're going to figure out where the safe houses are. They're going to go after missile factories. They're going to do what they can. And there's so many tunnels, right? I mean, they're underground. It's hard to find them. It's going to be insanely hard. But I think they have just made the calculation that there's no other way to do it. Of course, the big question, as you know, is how long can the United States run and cover for Israel give the Israelis to go do what they needed to do. Right, because the civilian death toll is going to go higher and higher and higher. And obviously, there's already a whole problem with food and medicine and water. It's a real difficult situation already. It's a big problem. I remember when President Bush was giving cover to the Israelis to go into Lebanon and beat up Hezbollah in 2006 and 2007. I think it lasted 34 days. I remember Bush getting a lot of grief of you need to pull the Israelis back. They're killing too many 
civilians. Um, this, I think we, the United States, can give them a little bit longer of a leash, but that's not as much time as they need. Let's just assume it's 60 days. That's They need more time than that to to effectuate this plan we've just discussed in Gaza. So there's a lot of international politics and public opinion that's going to be informing how much Israel can get away with in the future to try and root and branch Hamas out of Gaza. In the meantime, we have to watch that somebody doesn't plan some sort of a larger scale terror attack on us, right? You're exactly right. That's why we have the Department of Homeland Security. That's why we have the FBI and state and local that have been working together in fusion cells at least since 9-11. And so we just have to be vigilant. Remember, it's see something, say something. It's support our law enforcement to try and do what they need to do. I'm not overly concerned about it, to be honest with you. I think it's a real possibility, and I think the FBI director was fine to warn about it. We should take it seriously, as I said at the beginning, but I wouldn't alter your everyday schedule. Michael Allen, former special assistant for national security to President George W. Bush. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. A high noon vote today may result in Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan becoming speaker, or it may mean more work is needed to get to 217 votes. Last week, 55 members said they would not support Jordan for Speaker of the House in a floor vote. Fox's Chad Pergram reported Monday. It's about the math. Jordan can only lose four votes and still become Speaker. Some Republicans oppose Jordan because of what they interpret as strong arm tactics. To that point, Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw told CNN's State of the Union on Sunday. What I would really recommend to Jordan's allies, too, is, is that a lot of them have mounted this this, this high-pressure campaign. They're going to they're gonna whip up Twitter against the people who are against Jordan. That is the dumbest way to support <laughs> Jordan, and I'm supporting Jordan. I'm going to vote for Jordan. Ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy conceded on Fox's Sunday Morning Futures show. He's talking to every single member, uh, assessing what their challenges are, but we've got to be able to work together. The real challenge here is eight Republicans did something no one would thought, that they worked with every single Democrat to disrupt this nation. But it appears talking to some of those holdout members worked. After refusing to support Jordan, Alabama Congressman Mike Rogers said he would, that they spoke about the need for Congress to pass a strong defense authorization bill, appropriations to fund our government's vital functions, and other important legislation like the Farm Bill. Jordan was pleased Monday afternoon. I think I can unite the Congress. I think I can go tell the country what, what we're doing and why it matters to them, and we'll talk about that. Can you get the I'm, in, I, I'm in. I think so, yes. I feel very confident in that. Missouri Congresswoman Ann Wagner, who said she couldn't support Jordan, especially after he told Congressman Scalise that America wants him, changed her position Monday as well. She wrote that Jordan had allayed her concerns about keeping the government open with conservative funding, the need for strong border security, and the need for consistent international support in times of war and unrest. I think Jim Jordan represents the conservative center of the conference. Virginia Republican Congressman Bob Good was one of the eight members who pushed Kevin McCarthy out of the speakership. He has been a, an effective member of the leadership team as a ranking member and now chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He's been a loyal ally of former Speaker McCarthy and Leader Scalise, supported both of them. 
uh, when they were running for speaker. And he also has conservative credentials with the grassroots base voters from uh, the fights and the battles that he has been involved with in the, in the 16 years or so that he's been in Congress. So uh, he is one that I think many believed uh, could get uh to the consensus, 217 needed votes, and I think that's proving true. And I expect he'll he will be voted in the speaker, I think, very soon. The funding, the discussion on funding, has really been, I think, at the heart of of everything, of all of these conversations. Um, who's willing to spend less, more? I think Mr. Rogers, made, for example, wanted more on military funding. Um, Ms. Wagner was concerned about you know being fiscally conservative, but but at the end of the day, has this really been about funding and funding levels? And maybe who's willing to commit to spending less as we look at a $33 trillion debt? Well, certainly what we're doing in Congress is not working. And Congress has been failing the American people. And that is the reason why we find ourselves voting on a new speaker today. And the current path is unsustainable with, to your point, $33 trillion in national debt and a projected $2.2 trillion deficit this year with a Republican House majority, and we're projected to hit some $50 trillion in debt in the next 10 years. We're paying almost a trillion dollars in interest now with the growing debt, as well as the increased rates uh, as a result of Biden's Fed policies. Uh, so we need dramatic change. We need transformational change. We couldn't continue the status quo. And again, that's why we are now, I believe, on the cusp of voting Jim Jordan in as Speaker. If Mr. Jordan does manage to secure that that magic number two seventeen, um, you know some of the headlines are about if he does that, then 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 because of his support of former President Trump through January sixth, then the quote unquote far right will have won, and that this is Trump's Republican Party in charge of the House. Would that sort of label be true, or is that relevant to you? Not particularly relevant. I would suggest that Donald Trump is the most popular Republican in the country and Jim Jordan is the second most popular Republican in the country. And so it's not a surprise to many observers that Jim Jordan could be elected speaker. I think that, again, the predominant uh, majority of Republican voters across the country are very pleased at the prospect of Jim Jordan becoming speaker. If Mr. Jordan becomes speaker, is it a signal that Republicans will be less willing to, I guess, compromise or uh, work with Democratic colleagues? Is it a sign that people will become more entrenched in, in certain positions, especially when it comes to spending levels? Well, I sure hope so, because none of us Republicans ran on a desire or a willingness or uh, intention to work with Democrats to further destroy the country with the harmful policies under which all Americans are suffering. Uh, Virtually all Republicans ran on bringing change and fighting the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer agenda that was in place last November and in January when we were sworn in. So the reason we are voting to select a new speaker is because of a failure of previous House leadership uh, to use every tool at our disposal to fight the harmful policies uh, that are in place now under, when, under which the American people are suffering. Congressman, if, if not Mr. Jordan, let's talk about it if, if he does not succeed. And I'm posing that because of the margin. It is so close. If he doesn't succeed and Mr. Scalise doesn't succeed and Mr. McCarthy's been pushed out, I wonder, and I think many of us wonder, then who? At that point, where do you all turn? 
Well, what is so healthy about this process and this opportunity that we have is that Republican House members are choosing a speaker instead of having a speaker chosen for them based on who was next in line or the presumptive speaker. And so we've had a contest, uh, not a coronation. Uh, Speaker designate Jordan is on the verge of winning that contest. I believe he will win that contest. And I believe Republicans will vote uh, to support him so that we can move forward together, unified and focused together on our shared objectives. Maybe the American people aren't aren't clued into the the vaccinations that, you know, the ins and outs of, of all the I guess the, the wonkiness and, and the, the process right of, of, of all of this. It, it doesn't look good, right? It, it, where is the speaker? Why do we not have a speaker? Like, even if you're not in touch with politics, like, you know, what do you tell people at a time like this that the reason why it's okay that we don't have a speaker? Is, is it what you just said? I reject the premise of that question. Back in January, most Americans were not terribly concerned about the fact that we took a week or four extra days to choose a speaker. The media was overhyped on that, and they had all this sensationalized coverage of this was chaos, this was embarrassing, this was terrible for the country. And then two weeks later, nobody cared that it took an extra four days to select a speaker. Most Americans uh, aren't focused today on who the Speaker of the House is or worried about who the Speaker of the House is. For that matter, there was a, a, a national poll that I had referenced to me by several national networks last week in interviews that I did that said, you know, 25 percent of Republican voters uh, approved the motion to vacate to remove Speaker McCarthy, 30 percent disapproved and 45 percent didn't know or didn't care. So after Mm -hmm. a week and a half of very negative universal coverage of the motion to vacate, 30 percent of Republicans disapproved. Again, 45 percent didn't know, didn't care and 25 percent approved. I would submit if you had asked them, would you prefer Speaker McCarthy or Speaker Jordan? It would have been overwhelmingly Speaker Jordan, by the way. I think the country will thank those who were willing to risk everything politically to bring about this change. I think Republicans across the country will thank those if we're able to elect uh, Speaker Jordan, which I expect will happen. Uh, And for that matter, you know, Congress uh, has not been passing spending bills, uh, taking official floor action for two weeks now. What is it that the American people are missing out on based on the previous history that we might pass more spending bills in the House that are messaging bills? The Senate has to this point refused to take up and will continue to take up or that we might when we do have those points of leverage, which have only been two so far this year, the debt ceiling and the expiration of the fiscal uh, year at September 30, both of which we just surrendered to Democrats and passed unconditional increase to the debt ceiling and unconditional continuing resolution to continue to fund the Biden, Pelosi, Schumer policies and spending levels that have been placed since last year. Which of those two passage messaging bills that the Senate won't take up or passing spending bills that the Democrats want us to pass in the Senate? Which of those two do you think that most Americans are scared that we're not accomplishing over the last two weeks and are in a hurry for Congress to get back in action to keep on doing what we've been doing versus making transformational change? I suspect we need transformational change. Most Republican voters, even independents, would say versus continuing the current track, which is unsustainable. 
I understand you re- you reject the premise of the question, but to be fair, at least there was some action on that front, right? There were there were votes, there was movement. Here, it just seems um, that there is just consistently no one after you know trying to get somebody in. So it does it does feel and seem different clearly than January. But I wonder to the point you just made, um, there is business to conduct, right? I mean, th- I think it's Mike Turner who said. If Mr. Jordan can't secure the votes, then we might have to just go work with Democrats to get the House moving again to conduct business. To your point, how important is it then to conduct business while we have a shutdown looming in what, just 31 31 days from now, about a month? Well, we are in the position we are in because Republicans failed to pass all 12 spending bills as the former speaker promised we would well before the September 30 deadline. Now, we did pass four. Three of those were in the final week of September, which was obviously irresponsible to wait that long. The Senate, by the way, has passed zero. And just to take Israel, for example, in the two uh, national security and defense bills that we passed out of the House, has $4 billion in aid for Israel. Again, the Senate has not taken up those bills for whatever reason. Uh, And the bills that we've passed fund about 75 percent of the government. So the House has been uh, inadequate in our efforts, but has passed spending bills while the Senate has been totally uh, absent in their responsibility. So it, it is important that we have a new speaker that will commit to fund the government appropriately, that will get us back towards passing our spending bills. We've got roughly 30 days to do that before the expiration of the current continuing resolution. My hope would be that we will make tremendous progress in passing hopefully all eight uh, before we have to consider uh, the expiration of the current funding on November 17. Virginia Republican Congressman Baumgood, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. The wife of an alleged serial killer is asking authorities to give back guns seized in a search of the family home as she struggles with cancer and medical bills and is divorcing her husband. Asa Ellerop, the wife of suspected Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Hewerman, lost her health insurance when her husband's arrest collapsed his business shortly after she learned she had cancer. Ellerop's lawyers say there's no forensic value on the guns or Hewerman's 2012 Chevy Avalanche. The collection, which includes antiques from the American Civil War and both world wars is estimated to be worth $300,000. Ellerup's lawyers say she's been living off of savings and a GoFundMe campaign set up by Melissa Moore, who is herself the daughter of a serial killer known as the Happy Face Killer. Suffolk County prosecutors who have jurisdiction over the slangs have asked the court for permission to turn the guns over to law enforcement in neighboring Nassau County, where Hewerman lived. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Perino, join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? The unhinged 
leftist criticism of the world's only Jewish state and the claim that Hamas terrorism is an understandable response to Israeli actions is part of a long and shameful tradition on the American left of glorifying and romanticizing murderous tyrants and their followers. Over the years, leftists have showered praise on communist leaders Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin of the Soviet Union, Mao Zedong of China, Fidel Castro of Cuba, and Ho Chi Minh of North Vietnam. In our own country, leftists praised groups of thugs like the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers years ago and Antifa and Black Lives Matter more recently. Today, we see Democratic Socialist Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Democratic Representatives Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota among those blasting Israel for defending itself by attacking the Hamas terrorists who rule the Gaza Strip. Hamas has used Gaza as a launching pad for rockets and terrorist raids against Israeli civilians, intensifying earlier rounds of attacks. Terrorists in the group have murdered Israeli babies and people of all ages, raped women and girls, and kidnapped victims, including children and Holocaust survivors. Israel could not avoid responding to these attacks any more than America could have failed to respond to the September 11th attacks or the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor that plunged our country into World War II. Reacting to Israel's cutoff of food, water, and electricity to Gaza, while Hamas rockets rained down on Israeli towns and cities, Sanders said, quote, Israel's blanket denial of food, water, and other necessities to Gaza is a serious violation of international law and will do nothing but harm innocent civilians, end quote. Make no mistake. Hamas is solely responsible for the harm that comes to innocent civilians. Hamas created a dystopian hellscape, committed only to genocide and mass murder, when elected to be in charge of the Gaza Strip. But Israel is required to provide these things to a monstrous enemy whose stated goal is the extermination of the Jewish people? Yeah, no. Tlaib called on Israel to take a series of actions to help Palestinians and demanded an end to all USAID to Israel. Even the Chicago chapter of Black Lives Matter joined in the Israel bashing, posting a graphic on X, formerly Twitter, of a Palestinian terrorist on a paraglider, like those used by the terrorists who attacked an Israeli music festival, killing at least 260 people. The caption on the graphic read, I stand with Palestine. The group deleted the post after it sparked criticism. Well, let's get a few things straight to respond to the above claims. Israel goes to incredible lengths to avoid harming civilians in Gaza, while Hamas has no interest in preserving lives, while specifically targeting civilians for torture and murder. Hamas uses their own people as human shields, firing rockets and storing munitions in mosques, schools, hospitals and apartment buildings. Israel targets only terrorists, but some Gaza civilian casualties are sadly inevitable, in large part because Hamas arranges it to be so. Israel uses multiple means to warn the people of Gaza before airstrikes, encouraging them to flee prior to the mission. But Hamas has told people to stay in their homes and to ignore the Israeli warnings. While the suffering of civilians in Gaza is tragic, it has been brought on by Hamas, which started the war now underway. Any food and fuel entering Gaza will inevitably go to Hamas terrorists first, prolonging the war, death and suffering. Right now, with Israel at war, Feuding political parties there have united to defend their country. We must do the same in America. Hamas has killed more Jews in one day than at any time since the Holocaust. Just as an earlier generation of Americans stood with Jews against Adolf Hitler, we must stand with the Jews and the Jewish state against the terrorist savages of Hamas. This is Tammy Bruce. I'm a contributor with Fox News, and this column originally appeared at amac.us. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.